Hey, and welcome. You're listening to the Model Minority Report podcast. I'm your host, Ali Marino. First of all, I just wanted to say thank you for listening, for being here, because this is the very first episode. Um, I have no clue what I'm doing, and so please enjoy (laughs) watching or hearing me fumble through this whole podcast thing. Um, But with any luck, if aside from maybe the five people in my inner circle that might be listening, if you're somebody who's found the podcast down the road and are starting from the very beginning, thank you. (laughs) I appreciate it. Um, So I think it makes sense to kick off the first episode um, with just an introduction to who I am and why the heck I started this whole thing and um, just give you background. So um, I'm a 30-year-old living in San Diego and I am a Filipino-American. I'm actually an adoptee as well, so I'm what you would call a transracial adoptee, meaning I'm Filipino, but my family is not. Um, I have a mother who's white, and my father's Mexican. Um, And I have two older brothers who are also adopted, and they each, you know, have their own unique stories, but We'll get to mine probably eventually, um, but all that to say is is to say that I literally was the only Asian in my family and had to seek out or figure out for myself what it meant to really be Asian. Um, and so growing up, that was kind of a weird thing for me because, I mean, no matter how much you love your family, um, I couldn't deny that I looked different and was treated differently um, depending on how people saw me or what they perceived my identity to be. Um, So this is is a community that's important to me and so why I talk about Asian American centered or focused content is because that's what I know and I have grown up to (laughs) learn and respect all of the different situations and perspectives um, as a community that we have to offer. And so I think it's an important kind of platform um, to create. And so I hopefully, I will not be the only one on here rambling. I hope to have guests who um, have just interesting stories to tell and contribute to, to the Asian American community and particularly the nerd community. So um, I am a big self-proclaimed nerd Um I watch movies almost every weekend, love TV, just recently started collecting comic books. Um, My husband and son are big gamers. I try to play video games. I'm not very good at it, but I enjoy them. Um, We're actually big on board games. Um, And I read a lot. I'm a writer, so naturally that's kind of where my love of stories began. Um, But I think the nerd community is a special, specific place where... uh, Asians are not, you know, like we're not represented in popular media and we're even less so in, in I think, the nerd community. And so that's why this has that kind of dual identity of the nerd and the Asian American. And so um, that moving forward is kind of going to kind of going to be the theme of things. Um, other than that, uh, the name itself, Model Minority, if you don't know, is a um, term that's like applied to the Asian American community often as a way of kind of undercutting other minority groups. So if Asians are considered the model minority, it means that we are considered the most well-behaved or the most least likely to speak up um, 
or rebel against the status quo. Um, and also on the like economic side that because there are maybe successful Asians <laughs> that have found um, wealth or <laughs> prosperity in America, that it means that discrimination and racism don't actually exist. Um, so it's obviously an ironic play on that and this idea of I want to dismantle that, that, that stereotype and that belief that we're kind of this quiet, submissive group um, in one way or another. So that said, Minority Report um, is also a play, if you know, if you're a nerd, then you know the Tom Cruise movie that was based on, on a book that um, was about predicting predicting crimes before they happen and so Tom Cruise is this member of this elite futuristic police squad who would go and arrest you um, before you actually committed the crime you were going to commit in the near future. Um, anyway, so that's that in a nutshell. I hope to continue these conversations again, like I said, with guests um, and have a critical look at how Asians and Asian Americans are portrayed in media, whether or not we're being portrayed at all, and, and this constant kind of pattern that we've been seeing in, in mainstream media of, of roles being continuously whitewashed um, or Asians being cast aside as, you know, sidekicks or um, pretty exotic faces, right? The, um, the way that Asian women are often kind of used as props or... Um, Everything, you know, there's a whole long list. I could go on and on about that. Um, personally, for me, um, I, yeah, didn't see a whole lot of representation of people who looked like me in media. If we're just talking, you know, movies, I maybe had, I had Mulan early on. And, and then maybe Rufio was like the first known Filipino actor. So Dante Bosco, who played Rufio and Hook, was the, you know, leader of the Lost Boys after Peter Pan had gone away and actually grown up as he'd promised not to, right? Um, and that was an iconic role for him. And Dante Bosco kind of, um, in my formative years, became kind of the hero of the Filipino community, at least, um, for, for that role. Um, the only other movie that I can really think of um, was the Disney's live-action remake of Cinderella that featured Brandy as Cinderella and Whitney Houston as her fairy godmother. Um, and the actor who played Prince, the Prince, Prince Christopher, I think it was, was Paulo Montalban, and he was the only other Filipino actor that I could name off <laughs> um, in, my, in my teenage years. So, you know, with that, I mean... That movie was ahead of its time in itself, was totally colorblind, right? You had Whoopi Goldberg as um, the prince's mother and um, Victor Garber, I think, was the, was the father and the king. And so the funny part is that for me, that was actually weirdly um, realistic for how my, according to how my family looked. So um, people would probably laugh or scoff, you know, the black woman and a white man making a Filipino baby, right? Um, but that's what my family kind of looked like. So I wasn't actually too far off. And so I identified with that very strongly. And that was the only other, like one of the only times I can really recall a family that was structured like that. 
um, in my kind of childhood and younger years. And so I don't think that movie ever gets enough credit for for the casting choices <laughs> that it made. Um, anyway, so that's essentially my history of representation. Um, as obviously it's pretty small. That's what three movies that I can name off just off the top of my head. And so, you know, and I think this podcast is airing at a great time because we are on this sort of high or this wave of energy that is crazy rich Asians. And so, um, it's a huge deal. I think this is the first time in my lifetime that I've seen an all Asian cast in a movie theater on the big screen. Um, you know, obviously the big factor is that everyone's saying it's the first all Asian cast from a Hollywood um, production company since the Joy Luck Club. So 25 years between Joy Luck Club and Crazy Rich Asians. And, and so obviously it's a very, very long time to go without seeing somebody like you on screen. And so that's why the Asian and Asian American community, I think, is so kind of excited about this. I mean, it is it is a big deal. So I, it's essentially what Black Panther did for the black community. It's, it's something that is a long time coming, but when you finally do see it, it's so kind of emotional and groundbreaking um, that you really can't help but, but get kind of emotional and um, everything about it. And so I think that Kelly Marie Tran said a lot of things and was very poignant on her essay that was featured in the New York Times about being, I think she encapsulated kind of every feeling that we all feel of this at one point we've been bullied or experienced racism or, you know, felt cast out for one reason or another. And the sad thing is we all have those stories, whether it's like your lunch is made fun of at school or somebody asks you why your eyes are the shape they are or, you know, something about your skin color or your English being really good. Um, it's when you live with that, it's you representation becomes so important because you need that like example or you need something to point to in order to tell others and to even tell yourself that you matter or that you've done something notable or that people like you are not, you know, limited to what people actually believe. And so, I don't know, it's like when you see yourself in media, you see kind of opportunity, you see a different kind of potential for yourself. And I think that's really the power of, of representation. Um, I don't know, I like the fact that Crazy Rich Asians is a movie about Asians kind of just existing in the world rather than being reduced to these stereotypes. We have fully formed characters with um, deep-seated issues, whether they are tied to tradition and culture um, or identity. And and so it's in, even for a rom-com to be able to do that is, I think, really compelling. Um, so ultimately, like, that even goes back to you know, why this podcast should exist, why these conversations need to happen is because this is just the beginning. Like this is, we are in a really unique spot to have a voice and to say that, yeah, we will pay money. We will come out. We will fill those seats if you put us on screen. Um, and so obviously that's, that's being proven. So like we are riding this high, like I said, 
and the numbers are speaking for themselves. So, I mean, it's what a 35 million day, five day opening. They've just recently, just a couple of days ago, hit number one at the box office, beating out asshole Matt Damon, who is notably been cast <laughs> as in roles that should have been given to Asians. So the the sweet, sweet victory <laughs> is um, tasting really good right about now. And um, I think some really interesting and cool facts about the movie itself is that, you know, John Chu and the people creating this behind the film turned down what they quote unquote, you know, was life changing money from Netflix. Um, so they had an offer from Netflix, huge, huge deal, and just turned it down outright because they knew the importance of the film and demanded and wouldn't accept anything less than a true theatrical release that people would have to physically go out to the movie theater to see this film and that it wouldn't be not that Netflix is bad <laughs> or anything because there are great things being produced by Netflix right now but just the fact that knowing that this was such a momentous and historic thing that it had to be in theaters you know was that was a really big deal and I think a great decision um, by whoever was behind all of that. Um, again, there were like some really cool stories I think that came out of making of the film. And so if, um, one being that I think Constance Wu, so who plays Rachel Wu in the film, um, cut out or had a line cut out of the movie about not ever dating Asian men. So obviously she's dating Henry Golding's character, Nick, but I don't know. So either there was a joke or some kind of something written in where like she hadn't dated Asian men before, did not date Asian men until him, whatever it was. But knowing Constance knew that the situation and talking about it in that way was very stereotypical. So, yeah, there's this pattern and history of men, Asian men in particular, being seen as not super masculine, not dateable, not desirable um, for really stupid reasons. But it it is a pervasive kind of stereotype and so for her to see that um in the movie and catch it and then refuse to have it in like is a great thing too so it's kind of this like as you see all these kind of stories unfold you really see that it was kind of a group effort by the cast and crew to really make this something that not only they could be proud of but the community would be proud of and so again it's not perfect, and I'll get to that later, but I think ultimately it shows that like people cared. Like people knew what they were getting into, they knew what this would mean, and so they cared enough to do it and try to do it right. And so another one of those side stories is that Michelle Yeoh, legendary actress of, you know, um, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon fame, and she's in the new Star Trek Discovery um, series had um, like a first look, I think, at the set of the kitchen and for whatever reason um, happened to see that there was a package or some kind of like, I don't know, something, it was a package of MSG. And so knowing the kind of negative stereotype and negative connotation around that also somehow <laughs> with some discussion and kind of um, pushback had that removed from the kitchen and so while MSG is still commonly used in a lot of Asian foods um, it is kind of a divisive topic for people because they're especially in the United States there's this long history of kind of racism around Chinese food and 
um, even going back to the early days of you know the Chinese restaurant boom and people claiming they were getting ill and getting Chinese restaurant what they would call Chinese restaurant syndrome right and so that could be a whole podcast in itself David Chang famous chef is a great proponent and um, defender of MSG and so if you have any qualms or questions about it like I urge you to go look it up and do the research but MSG is actually found naturally in tons of foods um, and even in foods that other people eat every day not just Chinese food it's like it's in potato chips um, and things like that so uh, that aside Michelle Yeoh knew the problematic kind of image that would spark and stereotype that it could feed into, um, but still, and nonetheless, and had it removed. So she fought for that and and won that battle. And um, so again, it's just everybody working together to make sure that things like that weren't looked over or glossed over. Um, Crazy Rich Asians in itself, um, even putting the like historic casting and story aside, as a film, it's being like, credited for reinvigorating the rom-com genre. Um, so I think it's it's the best performing um, rom-com since Think Like a Man, which was six years ago, featuring a predominantly black cast. Um, so again, just going back to diversity cells. Um, and that it's, yeah, so it's just, it's doing great things. I saw it last weekend. It was a great film. I'm going to go see it again and probably take my parents just because um, I want to share that experience with them. And I just um, am super excited about it. And just recently, in the last day or so, it broke um, that John Chu already signed on to um, to begin the sequel. And so that's already in the works. Um, the books that are based... Um, that the movie was based off of. Um, there are They are a trilogy written by um, author Kevin Kwan. Um, so yeah, potentially this was set up to be like a three-part film, so I don't know how far they'd gotten with that, but I know Kevin Kwan was still heavily involved with the making of the film, so naturally the second film will probably closely follow the sequel. Um, overall, I thought it was a great movie. Um, was it a perfect film? No, it's not even my favorite genre, <laughs> but I was emotional just going to the theater. Um, I went with my husband and my son and one of my best friends, and um, there was this moment where <laughs> my friend and I like looked at, we were watching the people walking in, and I was surprised that there was this pretty good balance of non-Asian and Asian <laughs> people. Um, so just seeing the draw that that anybody and everybody kind of, you know, could co go see this film. And then the cutest part was this little old Asian couple comes in and the um, the wife is in a wheelchair and her husband's pushing her. And we almost, my girlfriend and I almost teared up just watching that. And I think it just goes to show that, like, it could have been that meaningful to people, that people who've never gone to the movies um, or just haven't been in years, right, would, would come out to see this film just because of what it stands for. Um, so then to, I mean, just to talk about some of the cast, there's some really cool stories in there. Um, Henry Golding, who plays Nick Young, has never, had never really acted much before. He was actually, like, scouted because I guess one of the 
accountants on the film um, knew him and thought that he would be a perfect Nick. And even though he was not a very experienced actor, I don't, or and has zero experience, um, was called into audition. And I guess he repeatedly turned down the role because he knew or thought that there would be somebody, you know, more experienced. Um, shout out Paulo Montalban, wherever you are, um, dude. What happened to that guy? Anyway, um, so Henry Golding, newbie, did a great job. He looked like a pro. Um, and so I was really excited to see that. Um, Constance Wu, amazing. She's great on Fresh Off the Boat, if you watch that. That's a whole other topic of discussion, too, of having, like, we are now living in a time where there's a sitcom on television featuring an Asian family. Um, Michelle Yeoh, as we know, is already legendary. Um, Aquafina coming off of her fame from Ocean's 8 um, and kind of establishing herself as a really funny, really cool actor um, is in this film as Peg Lynn and Rachel's friend. Um, the only problem I had with this film, or one of the, like, the biggest, I mean, not the only problem, but the biggest problem was her damn wig. I hated that stupid, short, blonde-ass wig. It looked terrible on her. It was not helping her at all i don't know what like the decision was behind that maybe it was like how the character was written in the book but for whatever re it was just terrible i just get rid of the damn wig please um i hope they give her a new hairstyle if she's in the sequel um oliver is played by the character oliver is played by an actor nico santos just have to give a shout out to him he's filipino hey um and he is also a hilarious character on the show Superstore, Super, yeah, Superstore, with um, America Ferreira. And he plays his character as Mateo, and he gets to play a Filipino, an actual Filipino in that film. And there's a really great episode of him where they're celebrating the Olympics, and he's wearing a, a Filipino flag on his um, vest. And the manager, like, can't get over like him being proud of his culture. <laughs> so it's like, it was done in a really smart, really funny way, but also allows <laughs> like Mateo, the character to kind of come into his own and stand up for his culture, which I thought was a really cool thing to see on screen. Um, the chick who plays Astrid, Gemma Chan, is um, I get, being called a rising star. She was good in it. I mean, she, I didn't, I mean, I wasn't completely sorry, Astrid completely like engulfed by her character but I mean she's gorgeous I guess you can't deny that um but I guess she has a couple other things coming out including a role in freaking Captain Marvel so I'm super excited about that um so we will definitely be seeing more of Gemma Chan and I think it's rumored I don't know a ton about the books but it's rumored that the sequel will focus heavily on her character um I won't spoil why but if you watch the whole movie you know what her kind of character arc is and so it'll be interesting to see how they um, navigate that um anyway so on to kind of the like more serious or critical notes um crazy rich asians isn't perfect i get that and so you're seeing if you're paying attention to kind of the feedback um, and what people are writing and saying about it there are definitely people who have problems with it and what it means um, for the Asian American community and whether it was playing into or perpetuating kinds of stereotypes. And, and I, think, I think they're not wrong to an extent, essentially. I think 
that portraying Asians as really rich, like obviously falls under the model minority um, kind of stereotype is that look at all of these successful, crazy rich <laughs> Asian people. Um, granted, I mean, Rachel's character is supposed to be there as a juxtaposition to this like ridiculous wealth. So she's, you know, the American, Asian American who is coming into um, this family and seeing this legacy of of wealth and these, you know, far-reaching um, family dynasties. But I think it can do a disservice to the community when people start to think that that's maybe indicative of Asians today. I, you know, I don't know. Like, I don't think it's been out long enough for us to say that that's what it's doing. And I think we're, I'm hoping that we're in this place right now as a society where that doesn't become the running trope, but you know, it's happened before. So I'm not gonna put it past um, that to, to say that it wouldn't create kind of new weird stereotypes or assumptions for people. Um, does it feature any darker skinned Asians or jungle Asians as Ali Wong likes to call us? Um, no, not really. Um, you've got mostly um, lighter skinned Asians. I, there's no, I mean, yeah. And again, there aren't, and are there any um, curvy, thick Asian people? They exist, but were they cast in the film? No, everybody's stick thin and beautiful. Um, as they should be, but in Hollywood, I guess. But it's, again, goes to show, like, there were opportunities for them to show, I don't know, maybe people with other body types. And that's the thing, too, is that's a whole other kind of problematic thing, is that when Asians are represented in the few times that they are in mainstream media, they're always kind of these um, very thin, very ideal body type um, people. And so being somebody of a curvy nature <laughs> would love to see like a thick Filipino girl um, in a film. I don't know, just saying. Um, so yeah, I mean, are there problematic things? Sure. Are they multiple? You've got Asians from the UK, you've got Asians from Australia, um, you have those who are Asian American. So, I mean, is it 100% totally accurate? No. Um, but I think these are all things that are a lot to ask of one film. I think ultimately it's, you can't expect one film to be everything to everybody, one film to encapsulate the story of all Asian people. Like that's just impossible. Um, so I think there's an aspect of it where like, we know how important this is, but we know that it's not gonna do everything that we needed it to do or wanted it to do, right? Um, so that being said, I don't, again, like, I'm not going to say it was a bad film. Um, I loved it. I'm going to go see it for a second time. I, I do think that it's important that we keep asking these questions. We keep, criti like, a critical eye on things, and we keep demanding for better um, representation, for more representation. Um, but at this point, it's like, it's great. It's a, it's a Crazy Rich Asians is a door that now has opened, has proven itself at the box office has made the business case for us as a community and so now it's just up to the people who are following in those footsteps and who are actually like as we are speaking creating things like so if you weren't aware um to all the boys i loved before had a quiet kind of um 
not quiet. I mean, it's a Netflix film, so the however releases are marketed on Netflix, but um, but has kind of flown under the radar since the hype of Crazy Rich Asians. Um, but that is a teen-focused kind of like romantic film with a lead who's an Asian American, um, and it's based on a book who was written by an Asian American woman, Jenny Han. Um, and I just watched that this weekend as well, and it was so cute. I loved it. Like. That is the film I would have wanted to see when I was 13 years old and never saw. Like, that in itself, like, may have gotten me even more emotional than Crazy Rich Asians because obviously I can't identify with the lifestyles that were portrayed in that film. Um, but To All the Boys I Loved Before was about, like, a confused hormonal <laughs> um, teenager that just happened to be an Asian girl and she's trying to make her way through high school, trying to survive, um this kind of catastrophe and trying to like decide who she is and figure out what she wants. And that I think is even more relatable <laughs> than, than what's happening in Crazy Rich Asians for some of us. And um, so that I was so excited about and it makes me kind of emotional just even talking about it because like I saw myself in her so much <laughs> and just the confusion and the, um, I don't know, just the quirkiness and her, you know, self-proclaimed nerdiness. She was a big, like, romance novel um, uh, chick, and, like, that was me. Like, I got lost in books because I didn't really have another outlet at the time, and that was not that that's a bad outlet or a bad hobby, but if you're, like, a kind of kid who, like, found your way through life through reading, um, you know that kind of feeling of, like, I mean, maybe you have friends, but there's an aspect of you that feels like a loner and kind of just wants to be around books and wants to be engulfed in a story um, because it's the, I don't know, only thing that you want to relate to at the time. So I don't know. I love that. There's a whole bunch of other cool and interesting kind of facts and side stories that maybe we'll get into next week. But um, that's out already. I encourage you to go watch it if you haven't. Um, really good movie. That's also... Um, part of a trilogy, so um, it's slated to actually have a second and third film, I think. I don't, again, I don't know anything about the books. I haven't read them, but I hear good things. Um, also, in other news from the margins, you've got John Cho um, coming out with a film where he is the leading Asian man <laughs> that we've all been dying for um, in his own film called Searching. Um, and it's just a suspense thriller crime thing I don't know his daughter gets kidnapped and he has to he kind of taken vibes I guess he has to go find um find out what happened to his daughter and he kind of like has to investigate her life and figure out what happened but he's finally like just a leading guy like he's got he's the dad he's the main character um and he has this kind of compelling story around him and I'm super excited for that um, there's a slew of other projects coming that I am hoping to tell you about, but that's kind of how I wanted to kick off to give you a feel for what to expect, why this thing exists in the first place. Um, so I thank you for being here and listening. I hope you'll be back. And um, don't forget to like and subscribe and share and all these good things um, because I'm just getting started. Like this was literally kind of just the opening and there's so much more to come so I hope to see you again virtually <laughs> take care